Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts. Good afternoon and welcome to Monday's Drive Home show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, coming to you live from Dubai. As half-term is nearly in sight, I'll be reflecting on my first few weeks in my new role and will be joined by Mary Rose Grieve, librarian at Heartland International School in Dubai, to talk about reading for pleasure and the reading culture in her school. Join in the discussion by calling or texting in. Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to today's show with me, Rebecca. You are joining me just three more get-ups away from half-term and I am feeling it. (laughs) Um, In Dubai, we start the school year earlier, so it feels like a really long time since August the 22nd when I started my first day at my new job. So I've mentioned many times before to anybody that's listened to the show before how I usually struggle to decide what to attack first with work. I kind of get into a situation where I want to do everything all at once. But this time in this new role, as I mentioned before, I really wanted to just slow down and prioritize. Um, My first line management meeting with the head teacher really enabled me to do that. And he wanted me to really sit and think about what my first half term priorities were. And that's been so helpful for me. But I did get a bit of a shock last Tuesday when I was in my line management meeting with him and we were discussing my goals for half term. And I thought half term one, when I set those goals, it felt forever away. Goodness me, see, feeling it, there you go. (laughs) There's end of term voice for you. Um, And I really did think, oh my goodness me, this feels like such a long time, I've got ages. And then there we were last week starting to tick everything off and... I think I'm just about ready now to start thinking about half-term two and where we're going to go next. But I also think I've blinked and completely and utterly missed it. Like, where has all that time gone? Um, So what has been really positive and productive is that the things that I did want to set up and achieve are already gathering traction and creating an impact. So the first big thing for me in my new role was looking at assessment. Um, I wanted to create a data tracking system with question level analysis so that when we return after the break and the students complete their first formal assessments, areas for intervention will be clear and easy to target as part of lesson planning and especially focusing on the routine of interleave starters and retrieval style strategies. You know, again, if this is a show that you listen to often, that that is something that I advocate and I'm a huge fan of retrieval practice. I'm currently teaching year seven to nine. So I've got a year to kind of prepare for our GCSE curriculum next year, which is just such a gift. And it will be my first time next year using the Edexcel iGCSE syllabus. So actually thinking about assessments, plotting them, thinking about how we're going to mark them, thinking about the kind of feedback that I want the students to have. It's been so helpful when I've been prioritizing this to get my head around the assessment objectives and the key stage four outcomes. So I feel like I've been able to really use this half term to look at where we're going come next year when we're looking at year nine going into year 10. 
Um, so that was my first area of focus. My second area was creating consistency with feedback. Um, this was a whole school priority, but something, again, that I feel very, very strongly about. Um, I've just recently, it's come out today, actually, I was on a podcast with Chris Jordan, and he's done brilliant podcasts, which you can find if you go on my Twitter um, and we spoke quite a lot the other day about feedback strategies and things that I like to use in the classroom. And I know that feedback can be such a contentious issue. And I am a firm believer, like so many people, of differentiating between what marking work looks like and actually providing feedback that is of value and can enable students to progress and be successful. So based on Chris Curtis's idea of the 200 word challenge, and again, Chris Curtis was with me a few weeks ago on the show, and we talked about this if you want to listen back. Our students now complete fortnightly writing challenges, and they're based on a variety of skills and totally different writing styles. And we use very, very clear, quite rigid success criteria. And this newly embedded routine has ensured consistency for all the students and a clear expectation about feedback for staff. Providing this feedback every fortnight and using these writing challenges has definitely supported staff with a more manageable mark load and a more manageable workload because the lessons are already planned for them as well. What it also has done is provided the students with clear expectations for successful peer feedback and for self-reflection. Before work is handed in to me, it is peer marked and the students use the parameters of the success criteria and sentence frameworks which we provide, which gradually I will start to take away as the students become more comfortable with using the peer feedback strategies. Once the students receive their peer feedback, they then self-reflect on the task itself, considering how they felt about writing it and again, slowly building those metacognitive approaches to their work. What's amazing to see already is that these good habits are now really starting to form in such a short space of time and there is improved quality in the feedback and reflection from the students that I'm really looking forward to building on in the next half term. One of the things I need to mention that I have been really, really fortunate with is the curriculum design and quality of lesson planning that I've walked into. It's really strong and it's really creative. Students are enjoying the lessons. There's so much challenge, but it's really enabled me to focus elsewhere in terms of my first priorities for this new role. So my third priority, and to me probably the most important, um, has been our focus on reading and vocabulary development. In my previous school, which was all EAL learners, we used Bedrock Vocabulary. It's an online program and it's brilliant and it's helped to build their tier two vocabulary and reinforce language acquisition. And I've been really lucky because my new school have enabled me to actually continue with this and set up the program with them. And it's been a great way to ensure consistency with homework and using a program that I know has been used successfully before in a similar context. And as well as this, we are still trialing Reading Plus. I mentioned Reading Plus last week on my show. And also I was joined with Ian Turner, by Ian Turner, sorry, a few weeks ago, where we talked about the programme and how it works. Reading Plus is there to help students with their reading fluency and comprehension, whatever their level and ability of reading. So it's really great to see because it's very, very discreetly supporting the students at every level and every ability. So I've got students in classrooms who are doing... A-level style reading versus students who are very much still at the key stage two end of the reading spectrum. But we are off to a flying start with it and in less than two weeks 
we have 188 students on roll and I just checked before I came on the show and we're up to 100, no sorry, 1,888,000 words read and that's just in under two weeks. So I'm super, super proud, not just of the students, but how the staff have taken this on board as well, because it's that consistency of approach, isn't it, that embeds things. And it's just so wonderful to see that everybody is on board. So using these two online programs, um, we are actually now able to discuss reading every day and celebrate all of our students' successes. And what I think is wonderful is this really is just the start of the journey that I am having promoting reading in the school. But it's these early wins that are making me feel like we're going to be able to create something really, really special. Last week, we had our first online parents meeting of the year, and it was brilliant to go in as my role as head of English to be able to communicate what we are trying to achieve and why we're trying to achieve it. Um, following my conversation with Alice Vissafuri last week, and we were speaking about the ability that students need to access the curriculum when it comes to exam papers, I found that with parents that was such a tangible buy-in. And since then, I've had emails asking for reading lists, I've had recommendations asking how they can see their students reading plus in the bedrock. And we know just how important that parental support is when we're trying to get things off the ground or embed strategies. And it's just so wonderful to see that that dialogue is growing and building already. I think as soon as COVID restrictions are a little bit more and they're eased a little bit more here in Dubai, it's going to be really great to have parents in school and actually seeing what the students are doing firsthand. So moving on to tonight's show then. I am continuing on this theme and I am delighted that in a few moments I'm going to be joined by Mary Rose Grieve. Mary Rose is the librarian at Heartland International School here in Dubai and she is a huge advocate of reading for pleasure. Um, Mary Rose is leading the Open University Reading for Pleasure group that I'm a part of this year and her passion and enthusiasm for the subject makes her the perfect guest to follow on from my discussion with Alice last week. Last week, Alice shared some amazing advice about promoting a love of reading in schools and engaging reluctant or nervous readers. Um, you can download last week's show at Teachers Talk Radio to hear everything that she had to share. So after these adverts, Mary Rose will be joining me and she'll be sharing her views, her advice, and will be ready to answer all of my questions about building a love of reading. So please join us after this. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Deanna Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? 
Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. So welcome back to Monday's Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, where I am joined by Mary Rose Grieve, a librarian at Heartland International School and Open University Reading for Pleasure group lead. So hopefully, Mary Rose, you can hear me. I can hear you perfectly. Hi. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thanks very much. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited about today's conversation. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. So I've given a little bit of an insight about you, but only very, very basic. So could you please explain to everybody listening just a little bit about yourself and who you are in your career to date? That would be wonderful. Yes, of course. It's like, it's like um, Phila Black. <laughs> Yeah, what's your name? Where do you come from? Where, where you come from? Um, so I, I um, I've been the librarian at Heartland since 2015 when the school opened. Um, it opened in September, and I started in the December. Um, and well, before that, I had um had a bit of a career break, uh, having children. Um, and previously to that, when I was when we were in the UK, I was I was an architectural historian and researcher. So I spent my life in a records office, at records offices, archives, libraries. Um, so I knew very much how they worked um, as a researcher. Um, but I had always, I have always been a book fiend and just loved reading and loved children's books. And um, I, I started at Heartland knowing very little about being a school librarian. Um, but as I, well, I, as I've gone on, I, the more I know, the more I feel I don't know. Actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I, I worked there then. So I've been there ever, ever since. I was, um, I was very honoured to be the School Librarian of the Year in 2019, um, which the, uh, was awarded by the Emirates Airline um, Literature Foundation. No, em, the Lit, Emirates Literature Foundation, which is part of the LitFest. Um, and I now am a member of the SILIP School Libraries Group National Committee. Um, so oh. I sit on that committee, which is based in the UK, with some seriously brilliant um, librarians and uh, still realise how much I have to learn <laughs> and how far I have to go. I, I, think, I think it is the nature of our, our jobs um, being in education that we, we have to keep learning. And of course, the more you learn, the more you realise that there is to learn. Mm-hmm. and the less able you feel to get it all done um so it, it's constantly a um a battle uh to do everything i want to do um i i also i'm i'm a governor of a prep school in scotland um and i am vaguely involved i'd like to be more so um in a few information literacy uh groups in the uk uh lobbying for curriculum change and that sort of thing so um that is basically me. I, I suppose I ought to say that the, the libraries at Heartland are, I've got a primary library, a secondary library and a staff library. 
and it's me and I have the most the world's most wonderful assistant um and we we run them together okay that's quite incredible that you've got such a massive library and I think what's really resonated for me there is you started as the school was starting which is kind of similar situation to me at the moment you know the school secondary size has been going for a couple of years but now it's about yeah hitting the ground running and what you said about the more I know the more I feel I don't know and the more you want to do and it's what do I do first and just when you think I mean one I think it is a very particular thing about schools in Dubai because they're always so new that every single year you start again really I mean that the the heart and the soul of the place remains as it is Mm -hmm. every year you're you're you've got more children and you've got things to change so what worked last year doesn't work this year because there are more children and there are more teachers to to um, meet and get up to speed there are more parents there's more and and it while while the heart of it stays the same there's all you're always having to refresh and do something slightly different Uh, so if I look back on those what this is now my seventh year I mean every single year is characterized by something slightly different um and I mean, obviously, no two days at at any school are ever the same. But particularly in Dubai, where there's such a transient population of both children and teachers, um, and the school is always growing, you know, when it's new, it's it's so exciting and thrilling to to have to be able to make those kind of changes, um, and to have an have positive effects, um, without perhaps it being quite as difficult to influence change does that make sense 100 percent. i mean you've kind of hit the nail on the head for me there because for me in this role it's a little bit like right okay any progress that i make is is going to be progress because i'm starting on a complete blank canvas so in that respect it is really lovely and i think coming from my previous school where there was lots to change this has been a much more and what I was saying at the beginning about the whole idea of just being able to prioritise, it's actually made it a lot easier to do, I think, this time around because it's given me more time to just kind of take stock and think what the priorities actually are. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, that, it, that is a real benefit of being here, I think. Um, the, the sort of, you feel like you, the possibilities are endless, really, and, and you feel so empowered to be able to, do, to, to make those kind of changes. It's, it's really exciting. It is very exciting and anybody that listens to this show knows how much I wax lyrical about international teaching because I absolutely love it, so absolutely love it. Um, Just before I move on, I just want to go back. Um, You mentioned winning um, Librarian of the Year in 2019 um, with the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. Now, for anybody that doesn't know what that is, could you just go into that just a little bit of detail because it's an incredible event that we have here in Dubai every year that I can't imagine many people out of the Dubai circuit would even know that much about. No, I mean it is it is an astonishing um, organisation actually. Uh, It was started by an amazing visionary um, lady called Isabel Abahul and um, the Emirates Literature Foundation which is the sort of over which is the umbrella body which runs this lit fest the lit uh, the lit fest happens um over about two weekends um or a week every year it's just changed to be now in february and it is a literary festival that like no other um they isabel is amazing at getting the most fantastic range of authors and illustrators 
um, and thinkers from all over the world, not just children's um, literature, children's authors, but adult ones as well. It is the most exciting, vibrant, brilliant place to be. I mean, I'm, I'm talking, <laughs> I'm pretending that COVID didn't happen at this point. Um, <laughs> It, um, it's one of those it's held in in a huge uh, in a hotel but in a sort of conference center and you wander about going to see different things all the time and you bump into um, authors and people browsing the bookshelves together and you talk to them and you meet them and um, you just have I have had some of the most extraordinary experiences I've had in Dubai actually at that lit fest I've met poets who are now uh, who we just you know, became friends with, and suddenly I was brave enough to go to one of her workshops, which I would never have done before. Um, and you just, it's just full of magical ideas. It's a really fantastic place. Um, and was run by amazing people. So I, um, they, and they, they, they are incredibly supportive of school librarians. Um, and they every year um, have run the School Librarian of the Year Award and, and I was nominated and then shortlisted and then a group of judges come and visit you at the school and talk to all sorts of people. Um, and then ah, I had to go to a, um, uh, the big, oh, it was the most terrifying experience, um, the uh, award ceremony and we didn't, I didn't know if I'd won or not and um, Sheikh Ahmed from Emirates Airlines was there. Even thinking about it makes me feel nervous. Um, <laughs> Anyway, I, I was it, it was just fantastic and such a huge honour and so unexpected. And and it being Dubai, of course, they, you get the most fantastically amazing prize of all time. And we got um, a trip for four from here to London. And we had four nights in a hotel overlooking the British Museum and a trip around the Harry Potter experience in, um, you know, the Harry Potter world in North London. I love it there. Around the British Library and some spending money. And it was absolutely the most extraordinary and amazing prize I've ever won I mean I've never won anything actually what am I saying uh, yeah I might have won something at the raffle it was just <laughs> a, an amazing amazing thing um so I was very very lucky and um I it, yeah it's amazing it, and, and I think we are really lucky in Dubai to have um some extraordinary there's a really fantastic group of school librarians here who are very supportive of each other um and actually uh, every school almost every school has one um and we everyone has fantastic mostly a pretty fantastically resourced space for books um and so you know that support that really does help um get people interested and pay attention to their school librarian and what we can do it definitely does and that's something we're going to come on to later because we have the most phenomenal library in our primary school but I'm struggling a little bit in secondary so I'm definitely going to be wanting to get some advice from you. <laughs> God, that is the thing I'm really good at uh, spending other people's money on books. Oh, I'm great at it. I've spent a fortune. I think I've spent my salary about five times over. I've only been there a few weeks. I'm doing really, really well. <laughs> um, the other thing about the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature um, is the competitions for the students and this year, I'm the person running them in lieu of not having a librarian for the secondary school. But it's just so wonderful, um, the creative writing. So this year, for example, we've got the short story writing competition, the letter writing, where they're actually trying to celebrate handwriting, because obviously students have been online for so long. 
Um, we've got the Chevron Readers Cup and I mean the students that I've, got, I've actually got more students than I need for my teams because they're that keen which is just marvellous um, and then the poetry for all so it celebrates all aspects of reading which yeah. I just think is wonderful it's amazing um, it, it really it's so their, their education program is amazing and they um they I don't know I, I, I mean obviously this is pre-covid but they have a fantastic education program which is not like any I mean you know Edinburgh Book Festival is amazing but they even their their education program is nothing like this one so they send authors out to schools and you bid for your author and um, you get so we've had some really brilliant people who have come to the school and met the children from Francesca Simon to Roma Agrawal who's an engineer and has written a book about um, white books writes books about structures amazing structures and you know from someone who's really famous to someone who they didn't really know they they come in and they stand in an auditorium in front of five or six hundred children and just have them eating out of the palm of their hand and I you can see that um, the children just lighting up and going, wow, that, that was amazing. And of course, they all come then rushing in and wanting to get the books. We had Liz Pichon visiting us from Tom Gates. And I mean, I the books just never stay on the shelves now. And they still talk about her uh, and what she did when she came to see us. And that was two, two years ago. We're bidding next month, aren't we? I can feel there's going to be some yeah. competition going on. Yeah, you have to be very strategic and you have to get lots of really enthusiastic children. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they are so, they're very clever at the Lit Fest because even if you, you know, actually, if you don't go for the well-known, as well-known authors and you get some of the less well-known ones, often it's those ones that are the, that are the most um, inspiring, actually. Uh, that's rather a broad well, I'm going to just take that as a little tip for uh, when, I do my, <laughs> when I do my reading next month. <laughs> anyway, we've massively digressed. Yeah. I do apologise. Yeah, no, I do it every time. I just start talking about something about Dubai and why I love it so much. But I just want to talk about, so I've not actually met Mary Rose yet to everybody who's listening in real life. We are still very much in our Zoom culture, but we did meet at my first Open University Reading for Pleasure group that Mary Rose is leading. So could you please tell people who are listening a little bit about it and how you got involved in the first place? Yes, I can. So um, the OU UKLA Teachers Reading Group, um, at the... Well, it was born out of some research done by Teresa Kremin and various others. Teresa is um, a professor of education literacy at Open University. And they did some um, work, uh, some research, a research work initially to see um, about how people, how teachers worked in schools to deal with reading for pleasure. And um, what, they, what they found in that from that initial research um, gave birth to a whole load of research and these teachers reading groups which which aim to help teachers foster a reading for pleasure culture in their school now they they now have well over 100 such groups that are running mostly in the UK but we have some there are a few international ones um, I first came across this I mean Teresa Kremen is you know she's the queen of reading for pleasure and reading and she, I mean, she's the most inspiring wonderful person and hopefully um she will come to one of our meetings and you will see for yourself exactly how um i, I mean she's you just get sort of transfixed by her um, <laughs> and 
um, I came across her work and I, I realized quite quickly that um, when you're working as a librarian in a school, um, there is there's an awful lot you need to do to be able to uh, make your impact slightly bigger than just being in the library. O often what happens is that the, the teachers and the, and the curriculum work goes on in the classroom and then the children come into the library once a week and the librarians then gives them lovely books and the librarian does reading for pleasure and then you all go, then they go out again. And I knew that that wasn't enough. Um, and I knew that it, in order to um, embed this, not just reading for pleasure, but reading across the school, we needed to have teachers on board too. And, and I think what was so interesting about this research was that the, the teachers' knowledge of children's literature and them positioning themselves as readers in the classroom and understanding their, their students and what they like to read and having an informal reader-to-reader -reader relationship with them is key to um, embedding this, this culture. And of course, you see, I, I mean, it became clearer and clearer to me that the children, of course, would listen to me and they knew that I, I loved reading Why? because I was the librarian. So I'd be leaping around saying, oh, look, you must read this book, it's so exciting. But, but then if their teachers weren't backing that up and having that conversation, it was really the teachers that, that they were looking to to get their inspiration. And so I came across Teresa's research and I saw this teacher's reading group and I thought, oh gosh, we need to have one of these, we need to do one of these. So I, I got in touch with her and asked if we could set one up in Dubai. And so I did this, we're now in our fourth year and it has been an incredible learning curve for me and for everybody on it. And um, we have gradually evolved over the years I, I have found leading it to be at times quite hard work because um, you're trying to I mean in some ways you're like it's sort of pushing treacle up a hill because it, it, it's not very time consuming but it does it does demand some commitment from teachers and I wasn't quite as sure of the research and how it worked at the very beginning it it was we were all leading each other on. I think, I think it does help now that I know a bit more about what I'm talking about. So um, I can be much clearer in my um, advice and um, in my conversations with people. But essentially, so I, sorry, Rebecca, I feel like I've, I've gone on talking. Absolutely not, go for it. I'm essentially, <laughs> essentially it. how these groups work is that you, you meet six times over a year and um, her, her research, um, identified five key areas that needed um, to be worked on in order to embed a reading for pleasure culture in your school. One was teachers' knowledge of children's literature. One was teachers' knowledge of children's reading practices. One was a reading for ple pleasure pedagogy. Now that involves where you read, how you read, so reading aloud, independent reading, and then this informal book blether that I was talking about. Then there was this reading teachers, teachers who read and readers who teach, mm -hmm. so that you're bringing yourself into the classroom as a reader, and that informs what you do in all that you do, um, not just in the reading bit in the afternoon. And then there's then finally is reading communities, which is about making connections between home and everybody in the school. So 
what we look at in our meetings, we look at a, a, a particular area and then each person identifies by use, through using some review your practice documents where they feel that they could have the most impact. Now, as, as we talked about, as I heard you talking about, and as I said to you then, and it, it, as we've just said, what you want to do is all of it. And you want to go, yes, I can do everything. But, but what Theresa very clearly says is that the, this kind of tokenistic, yeah, yeah, we've got a reading display and we stick something up on the wall. And yeah, yeah, we, um, we do reading for pleasure. I mostly read in the afternoon for about five minutes. You know, that kind of tokenistic approach that isn't centred in research and that isn't done with um, some real thought behind it becomes meaningless. So, um, you know, oh, we do World Book Day. Yeah, yeah, we love read. We do reading. Actually, what she says is that it is a, a, a moral and social obligation of te for teachers to be able to know this stuff. You know, you, you have to know your subject when you're a teacher. Um, and, and, and part of that is knowing about children's literature and knowing about what children read because the reading for pleasure is so fundamental to all that happens in a school that you know if, if your children around you love reading you're three steps ahead before you even start having to teach them uh, because they've they come to you with so much knowledge that they've got from the books that they've read um so i was i i mean it's it's kind of a no-brainer for me and it is one of the most um I find it one of the most rewarding things I do, actually, um, because it really feels like um, we are uh, basing our practice in something that is properly evidence-based and that we're really thinking about it and we're learning as we're doing it. Um, and I think it, and, and you, you only need to have, make a do a tiny thing for it to have a huge effect. What well, one of our teachers last year, or two of our teachers last year did a reading for pleasure period every other period, every other week when they didn't have library they all went outside on their blankets and they read and what she noted what they noticed was that the first for the first three weeks or so the children couldn't concentrate for any more than five or ten minutes on a book by the end of the year there was silence and and sustained reading for that entire period that comes with practice that's that's all that is but you know when you can see that it's not you're not doing anything particularly um, you're just you're giving time and facilitating it and you have that that kind of um, impact that's that's really powerful I couldn't agree more and last week um, Alice Visafuri said something similar and she was like you can't say you're a reading school if you're not going to give time to reading and I mean when we had our first meeting Mary Rose I felt like you were speaking to me because you were saying, you know, you do want to do everything. And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> and now I'm thinking, okay, you know, all five of those strands, it's like, where do you even begin? And, that, and over the last week or so since we had that meeting, my mind keeps changing all the time. And I keep thinking, oh, I'm going to go down this road with it and I'm going to go down. And then I think of something different. And it's just, it is so important. I think for me, it is about the other staff buying. I am you in my school. I'm the one, oh, Miss Ricketts loves reading. Oh, here she goes again. She's talking about reading. Oh, she's sharing a bit of a book with us. But it's how we expand that just out of the English teacher's classroom or, like you say, the library so that it becomes a conversation. 
we've got those posters on the wall. They're all at what we're reading. But I, does anyone talk about them? No. And I just think there's no point in them even being there. It actually probably does them more of a disservice having them up there if you're not backing it up with the conversation. Exactly. And I think I think that is that for me that is the crucial bit of it actually that that it, it all happens with modeling good reading and that's the same for parents by the way yes if if as a parent and they say oh i can't get me you know, i get it all the time oh um, i can't get my child to read and my first question is what do you read oh i i don't read right well you start reading and they will too that's how it works you know it's so straightforward and and so much of this um i mean not to uh, this so much of it is common sense i mean thank goodness for the proper um thoughtful and deep research that teresa has done that allows us to validate what it is that we're doing but it is common sense you know we know this in order to make whatever you do have purpose and meaning you have to go at it with your whole heart you know you can't you can't just pay lip service to it because because otherwise it will not stick you won't get traction um so it but it is it is slow and i think you and i are probably the same in that while we know it's slow we're looking around us and thinking but these children now need it now come on let's do it quick quickly i want to change it this minute for those children and and that's that's I think sometimes very frustrating and can be difficult, but you can slowly change people's minds and it does happen and people do get interested in it and people do go, oh, actually, gosh, I really see what a difference that has made just by me talking or me saying, yeah, we had the most fantastic math teacher who joined us last year. And she doesn't she doesn't read very much and she certainly she hadn't read very many children's books and she started reading books and putting them on her maths wall in her classroom and she suddenly started having conversations with the children that came into her class and they were conversations about books and they were recommending books to each other and it was powerful stuff and and it 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 made such a difference to her and to them um you know that that stuff is really really i think with the 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 important that's where you go oh bingo i've got it right that's one next one what are we going to do now and it's so small isn't it it's just such a small cultural shift but actually it's huge the impact that can have is massive on like you say the relationships with the teacher and the student but also then the relationship the student's having with reading exactly exactly because they're they're never going to do it if nobody else around them is doing it you know, if it's if they see all their teachers reading all the time, then they're going to do the same. Have you ever read, I'm sure you have, this brilliant little essay called um, Why You Should Read Children's Books Even Though You Are So Old and Wise? Yes, I have. Oh, I have 20, I bought about 10 copies of it. And I just kept throwing it. <laughs> <laughs> like a sort of maniac. Um, I, 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 it, it was slight, I mean, it was almost embarrassing. You know, it's a sort of Gideon's Bible thing. Um, but... I was just pushing them into anybody's hands who would take them. I was giving them to parents. I was giving them to teachers and just saying, read this. It's, it's actually okay to, to read children's books. They're really good. But that's why I'm enjoying, you know, the whole preparation with the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature because 
you know, I'm reading the same books as the girls are, the girls at the moment, I've got a female team and I'm building a boys team now, um, of readers who, you know, are looking at the Chevron Readers Cup books and it's just so nice because now the other students and I've got all of the copies at the front of my classroom and the other students are like, oh, I miss what you're reading. I'm like, oh, it's for the Chevron Readers Cup, it's for the competition and they're like, oh, and what's it about? And it's just tiny little wins that can make such a difference. Yeah. Exactly. And that stuff, you know, it, it, it then starts turning into a tide and then it becomes unstoppable and then it just people don't even notice. I, I mean, it, you know, listening to Alice and all the stuff that she does at her school, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, that kind of I mean, that's but as I was listening to her talk last week, I was thinking, you know, this is a never ending. There's 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 never a, you can never stop at this. It just keeps on going. Um, and, and that's probably, I mean, I think that's really exciting, actually, um, to be able to keep finding new and exciting things to do to engage and hook children in with what you're doing. Um, but I did, I do think that thing of giving it time is really important. Um, and, and, you know, that time comes from from SLT down, you know, everybody saying There's t- this is time. Yes, here's some time in the timetable. Here's some time in the curriculum. Um, you know, that that is crucial. It really is. I could not agree more. It is. It's about giving us that time and kind of putting your money where your mouth is, isn't it? You know, they say it's important. They say that it's a priority. Well, then let's carve out some time to make it be a priority. And and when you say that's the other thing is, you know, I I think I think what's so exciting is the the reach that it has. I I am. Um, I'm quite keen. I'm, I'm more than quite keen. I'm extreme. I think a school library is um, far more than a place that. Uh, this is not to belittle reading for pleasure, by the way, but 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 it's more than a place of reading for pleasure. Um, it's a place of where curiosity uh, is. It, it, that's where it's born from. If you're curious, you go to the school library for everything. Mm-hmm. So it's all about inquiry research and learning as well as being a place where you can go and pick up a really good fiction book but but what's what's really interesting is the is this is the connection between reading for pleasure and then um curriculum and or reading for progress and reading for um purpose and and i think that's something that i really want to kind of start exploring a little bit more there's a a wonderful head of um one of the initial schools involved in the research um project that Teresa first started is in um Birmingham it's a primary school and it's run by an amazing person called Sonia Thompson and she talks about reading for purpose reading for progress and reading for pleasure and I think you those two things go very much hand in hand and I think so when you're doing when you if you're a reading teacher if you're a teacher who reads when you're going into your classroom and you're you're teaching a topic or at secondary you're teaching your own subject um knowing the books that you have around you that you can use and pull on and draw on for um when some suddenly someone says oh I, I wonder I wonder I don't know what what Greek myths or something look I've got a book for that let's have a look let's have a look at this book let's suddenly read this and and so when you're planning 
um, and you know about books and you know what's available, the planning sort of comes, is born from the book rather than the other way around. I, I'm working very hard to stop the, um, hi, we're, next week we're doing plants. What books have you got that I could use? Yes. Yeah. And I, I want to go, look, look at this fabulous book. Oh, right, that's given me an idea. And, and suddenly your curiosity, the teacher's curiosity as well as the children's are being fed by these books. And so when books are being used in the classroom as well and teachers are excited about them um, for work as well as reading them for pleasure with no work attached to them at all, then that, that further cements and gives it traction and suddenly then, you know, everyone knows, oh yeah, it's just books, that's what we do, we, we do books. So it's like reframing the thinking, really, isn't it? It's actually coming at it from a different approach. Exactly, exactly, and and so that's why these teacher reading groups are so fantastic, because the more teachers that that get this and see it and understand it and and see these, I mean, the, the website is so full of amazing resources. The, the more you read, the more you learn, the more you watch, the more you listen, the more you realise oh yes right not only am I going to have children reading for pleasure but actually my teaching is going to become easier as well and the way I think about what I'm going to do in this way and the other is also going to become easier because I'm reading lots and I'm I'm reading uh, I know lots of literature now so I know how I can use that in other ways and that's really exciting and I think that's why I'm I put so much effort into these reading groups because I think they are the they can be the birthplace the catalyst for change and a librarian is nothing if not a revolutionary I mean we are in a perfect position to <laughs> I, I once described myself as a gentle agitator <laughs> I think um I think that's what librarians are really good at because we're not constrained by assessment data marking tracking any of those things really we can ask questions in a different way and we can we can just um push at boundaries and try and reframe things in a in a way that i think teachers aren't able to because they're so they're more constrained by all of those other things about assessment and data and you know I absolutely love that. I've just written that down. A good librarian can push boundaries. I think that's so, so true. Um, I'm going to move us on because I've got so many questions for you this afternoon. And I say afternoon, it's like quarter to eight here, but for everybody listening in the UK, it is the afternoon. Um, so you've kind of hit on it already, but this is, again, this is quite personal advice for me. And I think quite a few people, I see this on Twitter a lot, you know, people who are up against it in terms of budget constraints, but... Mm-hmm. You know, we've already said a good librarian, they are worth their weight in gold. So what advice would you give to somebody who is listening or on the other side of this call um, who doesn't have the same kind of resources but is really wanting to develop a reading culture in their school? What would you suggest would be a good place to start? Oh, well, there are so many. Well, obviously, first of all, the OU Reading for Pleasure website, which is www.ourfp.org. I mean, that is the font of all knowledge um, but also the school library association sla have got a fantastic website with some resources on it that you can access even if you're not a member 
that can help you in all kinds of ways. I know in the UK, there are lots of grants and lots of places that you can go to get funding for libraries. Uh, uh, Cressida Cowell has had a huge great, um, you know, she's open, I think it was 20 libraries that they opened as part of the Great School Libraries campaign. Um, so there's lots of there'll be lots of local things you can do to but but i think going online and looking at some some um well, particularly those two websites actually um is a really good place to start to generally get your sort of juices flowing the the reader teacher um more for primary but um he's called scott evans and he's got a fantastic website um with all sorts of reading lists on it um the the, the most amazing, I mean, the most wonderful person, that's why lockdown has been so good. I, I, I was able to make um, connections and meet, well, not meet people, listen, be learned from people in the UK in a way that I never could before. And there's a, there's a wonderful person called Nikki Gamble, who, know, I mean, she knows everything about children's literature and more. Um, and she has a website called Just Imagine. And as part of that, they now have a new bookshops called uh, best book for books for schools.com and she they have fantastic curated lists um of books that are used that are really good to be used in schools that are high quality that can be used um to develop critical thinking as well as reading for pleasure um nikki is has a fantastic book called exploring children's literature which has been um uh, I mean, a godsend to me. It's it's a really interesting book, and it's brilliant um, to allow you to kind of think more deeply about what what children are reading and the books that they have. Um, so I would recommend her, and she I, she hasn't done them for a bit, but in lockdown she was doing free webinars, and I was I I was addicted to them. I mean, I couldn't stop listening to all sorts. She's just she's really knowledgeable. So that is a very good place to go, I think, for advice as well. And, and there are some great groups on, on Twitter, on what's it called, Facebook, um, that for primary school librarians, reading for pleasure in primary schools. I know I've talked a lot about primary schools and I haven't I've talked too much about secondary, but they're the same, there are the same sort of um, groups on Facebook too that are full of really good advice. That's really helpful. And for anybody who's listening before the end of the show, I might just get you to recap that just again, because it's a really helpful, a really helpful list. Um, we're going to take a quick break and we're just going to play the news for a couple of minutes, but please come back and join us in a couple of minutes to carry on the conversation on today's Monday Drive Home show with me, Rebecca, as I'm with Mary Rose Grieve to talk about how we can build a culture of reading for pleasure and why it is so important in our schools. We will be back after this. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Megan Goods. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Schools are being told to stockpile dry and tinned foods in the event of an ongoing shortage. Food supply company ISS have issued the warning following the continued lack of HGV drivers in the UK. It is thought supply chain issues could last until February, 
with school kitchens being asked to have a two-week backup supply of non-perishable food products as a contingency plan. Education unions are pushing for the reinstatement of mask policies across schools. The latest statistics show that 1 in 15 children in school years 7 to 11 are estimated to have had COVID in the last seven days, the highest rate of positivity for any age group. Unions feel this leaves secondary schools particularly vulnerable. No action has been taken, but the new education secretary did not rule out the return to masks in classrooms. At a conference this week, Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi said there were not enough blackhead teachers working in English schools. He said he thinks it is critical that teaching is an inclusive profession where leadership teams reflect their communities. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Hello and welcome back to Monday's Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, and I'm joined by Mary Rose Greve, who is a librarian at Heartland International School here in Dubai. And um, just listening to the news, it's so crazy for me when we, well, for both of us, I imagine, when they're saying, well, they may reintroduce masks. I'm like, we're never out of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the world. It is. It's, it's, really, it's extraordinary, isn't it? And I mean, we somebody was saying this week that they were even talking about taking about them coming off now our masks. Um, but I mean, I can't I can't bear the thought of it going backwards in the UK. It's just oh, it's too depressing, particularly in the winter. Oh, definitely it is. But I mean, for us, for everybody that's listening, I mean. We are still everywhere in masks, aren't we? So for me, the thought of it actually going away makes me a little bit, makes me feel quite nervous, actually, if I'm honest. I I'm, I'm feel quite conditioned now. <laughs> anyway. I'm oh, sorry. sorry what I, I, I just, I, I, I feel so constrained by them that I find myself pulling them down so I can speak to people, which is hopeless. Um, and, and I must get much better at keeping, the, at putting them on. Um, I, but I sort of definitely become a little bit more blasé, I think. It's definitely a lot more challenging, though, to teach and to be around children with them on all the time. But... I mean, uh, once I'm with the children, it's e- sort of, e- sort of, it's easier. But it's just talking to other adults. I, I, I perhaps because I can't hear them so well that I feel it's so frustrating. Anyway, again, I'm massively digressing. <laughs> and we're here to talk about a love of reading today and promoting a reading culture in our schools. And if you're just joining us, thank you and welcome. And everybody else, I mean, we've talked about so much already and I feel like there's so much more that we need to cover. An hour and a half doesn't quite feel long enough this evening. Um, so we started talking a little bit about promoting a love of reading in schools. Um, but speaking personally, what are the kind of things that you do to promote a love of reading? Um, what has been successful? This is a lot of questions, actually. What has been successful for you? And is there anything that you wish you hadn't tried? I did, when I sent Mary Rose some questions, I did start me a little anecdotal, which I might share with everybody today. Um, yeah, it's very embarrassing. I, I, I'd love to hear about that. It sounds brilliant. Um, um, yeah, it did. Yeah, it did involve some helium balloons and some poems, but we'll. Um, uh, where did they go? 
they didn't. That was the really awful thing. So I've I've done it now. I've led myself (laughs) into it. Uh, But basically, it was in my school in the UK, and I was doing my MPQSL, and I was doing it based on, it was my first ever evidence-based project focusing on reading. And um, it was, it only came back to me the other day when it was Poetry Day. And I can't remember what the theme was. It was messages. The theme was messages. So I had this great idea um, that we would write poems and then we would attach them to helium balloons and we would launch them in the playground. And I went through all sorts of rigmarole um, to make sure it was allowed because we, I was living and working in a really rural community. So I had to get permission from local farmers. Uh, all sorts of things went down. The press were there. Everyone thought it was going to be this great big moment. I was in school from about 6 a.m. with a helium machine. There were people coming in at all really early in the morning. I mean, I'm so embarrassed because like, it really was this big and it really failed. <laughs> I mean, salons are just like falling across the place. Like, oh, my goodness. What reason am I admitting this, actually? Because this is one of those things that I've tried to commit to like, the depths of my memory. And I'm just looking back at my question. I thought, why did I say that? And now I'm definitely going to have to talk about it. I mean... 10 out of 10 for effort and for trying um and luckily the local press were really really generous in the way that they wrote about it but we didn't quite get the photo launched yeah and i tested them as well i mean i really did go to town with this oh, rebecca that's so that's just awful I, it was I, so I, sad <laughs> we ended up cutting the poems off the, i mean it was good for the environment i guess um, we ended up cutting the poems off and then in three periods members of staff were going into the local town, into the local community and were hiding them in places. So it did oh. kind of still work, but oh, yeah, it wasn't quite the, brilliant the, idea, actually. the grand finale I was hoping for. Yeah, well, I can, um, but I, I mean, it's a really good idea. I love the thought of it. So, I mean... Yeah, 10 out of 10 for enthusiasm, and it, yeah. it hasn't made me dejected, but yeah, it was, it was, that was the wish, the one thing I wish I had never tried, so hopefully your story's not quite well, as dramatic and embarrassing. I, well, I wish I had something quite, I mean, I think that's a really, I, I think it's a very good story, you should be proud of it. <laughs> I, um, I haven't had such a disaster, I, I did, inspired by Teresa and her, Teresa Kremen talks about the, um, the thread, the the thread that connects and I thought oh I'll, we'll do a Christmas challenge and so I it was called uh Christmas what are those paper chains Christmas book chain mm-hmm. Christmas reading chain the, so in the assembly I I got children to make huge long um paper chains and I brought in two books a picture book and a novel which I knew lots of people had borrowed from taken out of the library and I said, right, anyone who's read this book, I'd like you to stand up. So they all stood up for the picture book. And so then we passed this um, paper chain all around them so we could see how they were all connected by this one book. And then we did it again for the other one. I thought, this is wonderful. How, Sounds you know, wonderful. So well. a visual. So then the idea was that they went off at Christmas. I, I don't, I'm not a great fan of um, reading competitions with sort of rewards, I think I think reading should be the reward should be reading. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So I try and think of ways to get people involved where they're not trying to compete with each other to read lots of pages or lots of whatever it is. That, so that it feels a bit more 
um, collaborative. And so the idea was that you I then put a Padlet together and um, when somebody read a book, they would put it on the Padlet and then somebody else would say, I've read that and I'm on my holidays in whatever it is. And you could see then this lovely chain of connections between people who had all read the same book. It's really visual. That sounds it's really plain. To Rebecca. Oh. <laughs> Not a single. This was pre-COVID, so yeah. we weren't quite as au fait with Padlet and all those things in those days. But even still, I was really disappointed in the, <laughs> the general lack of interest in it. I sort of slunk away and thought, oh, "Well, never mind. Moving on. Uh, we'll try something else." Um, so, uh, I mean, what do I do? There's, uh, there's so much. Um, there's so much I do do, and there's so much I wish I did. Um, I. I, I'm really good at um, talking about things and thinking about things. And then I get a, I get a crazy idea and do it. And, um, or not even a crazy idea, we do something. And then I think, mm, this isn't really working. I wish I did, had done something else. So I, I, don't, I don't think um, that, well, no, we do do some good things. So when the, in the primary school, when the children come in to the, like, they have a library lesson and one, one term, we made a, a television that sat in front of them on the on the on my reading chair, and it looked like they were on t in in the telly, and we had a little controller, and then the children were like came up and they had to do a twenty second advert for their book that they'd brought back to tell everyone else how much they liked it, and um, it was they they, lo they absolutely loved doing it, and everyone wanted to get on the telly, and we had a little timer and there was a quacking duck of um, fortune who would quack at the end when they'd done their 20 seconds or their 30 seconds or however long we'd decide. Um, and it really got them into understanding how to talk in public, how to persuade people to use that kind of persuasive language, to talk about the book they've read, to, to think about what kind of person would like to read it, to build connections between children. It was it was really good fun and 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 very um, easy and and a, a great way to build a sort of community. Um, but I also um, one of my te my re teachers reading group project this year, which I still have to write up, um, had to do with parents and reading aloud. I am absolutely passionate about reading aloud to children. Uh, and the research that Teresa's done has done shows how important it is. And um, not just Teresa, but Farshaw, who are brilliant publishers, children's publishers, do a lot of research on this. And there's an amazing statistic, which I think I showed you last week, which is that if children are read to every day, children between the ages of eight and 13, they're read aloud to every day, 63% of them choose to read independently compared to only something i think the figure i should have it in front of me is something like eight percent of children who um choose to read independently and when they're read to less than once a week so being read aloud to encourages children to read themselves and i think it's really important and i think it's really important that it continues beyond the point where children can read themselves I completely agree because I think that's where parents stop because they think, oh, you know, they can read now. I've done my, you know, and it's that, it's that thing. And for me as a child, like my dad was always busy working and he would always come home 
always come home at bedtime and we would read together every single night and they're such treasured memories and so as a teacher that's something that I always do because I just think they need to hear it all the time and I read things out to my form but I'm really having a great time because um I've got a boy in my form group who um is half Emirati and I can't for the life of me get the words of the national anthem so now we're doing a bit of a trade-off and he's teaching me the worst of the national anthem he couldn't believe it when I went into school this morning because I practiced last night at home well I can only do the first three lines I've got a long way to go um but the trade-off is then you know and now we do we're getting some reading going a little bit but it is it's finding that adult that you can have read to you and will read to you because I think like you say the memories are so important but you know when children are about eight years old typically they're getting more proficient aren't they so it starts to drop off and then I mean we find that at secondary school there's no reading allowed I told parents the other day after speaking with Alice Fisser Fury last week you know get your son or daughter to be reading to your pets you know because I really want a reading dog so I'm hoping that if they start reading to their pets that my head teacher might listen (laughs) I think that um I think often that that bit is kind of forgotten about about fluency actually and um and the the idea that um, you listen to people reading aloud and listen to the rhythm and the sound of it and translate what you're looking at, those funny little shapes on a page. Not only do you translate it into a thought in your head, but you hear the sound and the music and the rhythm of the words. And that stuff is powerful. I mean, we know we all can think of music that moves us. And, and I think when you're listening to stories being read aloud, they can move you in a way, um, in a in a in a very deep way actually, and and that kind of effective process is really important. And I I mean I I just I, I that was why I wanted to do this summer reading project. So I I said to parents, and it was based on something that Farshaw did with parents during lockdown, and I said you have to commit to reading to your child every day for twenty minutes, and I sent them out a survey. Um, I think three or four times over the summer to ask so I could see what difference it's made in their attitudes and their approach to it and I'm now however long afterwards I'm going to do a follow-up one to see what happened it's a fairly small sample group but I really wanted to get that data to be able to say look this is really important this reading aloud stuff has got to happen and and actually it can happen in tutor time instead of sitting the children sitting quietly reading read to them and it doesn't matter if you're if you think you're not very good at it, you don't have to be um, a professional storyteller. They just want to hear the words. You know, they want to hear you listening. They want to close their eyes and be transported. Um, and you know, I, I think that's something that that we should really be encouraging parents to do. And and of course, in Dubai, where lots of you know many many of our parents aren't English as first speakers, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean to say. I think often they think, oh no, I can't because I'm I can't. My English isn't very good. They don't have to do it in English. They can do it in their own language. You know, all of this all of this stuff is literacy, whether whether it's in Hungarian or English. Um, it they're they're you're building up all of those skills that need they need to have. Um, so. I, I am a real advocate of that, as well as I, I'm slightly dig- going off the point, but I am so mad about picture books for children of every age. It's my sort of pet passion. Um, I think because I did an art history degree, I think it's something 
probably from there. But I think that the visual literacy and the power of some, there are some incredible books um, that could be used in secondary in a very powerful way, I think, picture books that, that aren't those, you know, um, my, my bear sat in a chair, but um, <laughs> really quite deep um, and powerful books. So I, I, I can't, I, I mean, I, I just, I just love a picture book. So the two things together, reading aloud and picture books, you're, you're onto a winner, I think. Well, this is something that I said in the show last week, one of my students, he thought he was being sassy and he was like, oh, can't I just listen to audio books? And I said, yes, yes, you can. I actively encourage you to listen to audio books because you can hear the words being used. I said, you get double points if you've got the book in front of you. I said, but please listen to it. And, Again, that was something with working with EAL learners, you know, for the first time. And I realized that, and it was my GCSE and A-level students that told me that they were actually going away to do their independent reading of, well, 1984 GCSE and Dracula at A-level. And they were listening to it as they were making their notes and annotations on the page. And I thought, you know, these are engaged readers, you know, these, these are girls and yes, they're EAL, but I mean, they still had really high target grades, but that's really interesting. And made it leap off the page. What, and so I, I, that's a really, that's a really interesting thing. I think that, um, that is quite powerful actually to be able to hear it at the same time, particularly for EAL learners. Um, and to hear the sound of the words. That's really, I, that's fascinating. I, um, I think uh, we definitely need to get more audio books in our collection in the library, actually, um, because I, I think they are a brilliant way of, and particularly for also younger children. You know, uh, if you, they're never going to go home with Catherine Rundell's Explorer, for example, when they're in year two. It's just too big. But if you put that on, um, as I've seen happen, um, with my children and children of um, friends, they they they'll put those books on, and the children love it. They can't get enough of that of those sorts of books because the story is so strong and the writing is so good. But they couldn't read that independently, but they can listen to it. And yeah, that's what's important. Um, it, you know, you, they're accessing high level vocabulary, um, and they're able to read things that, that uh, to listen to things that will move them on and move their language on and move their understanding without even knowing that it's not a lesson it's just fun they're lying on their beds playing lego and listening to this wonderful story um i you know i and and equally as you the older you get you've got work to do and you've got your you writing whatever it is but just listening to something um is really I think that's really important. There have been quite a lot of studies on on um, audiobooks, which I sort of need to get my hands on again. But um, I think particularly during lockdown, Audible's free stories were very popular. We recommended a lot of those in my previous school to students. We were like, get get on there, and at least we know you're you're interacting with something that's not Netflix. But again, it was. As mentioned at the start of today, show these writing challenges that we do with students. And um, the other week, one of the success criteria was because I want them to think about their structure as well as their language. And one of them was to think about um, a one sentence paragraph and a one word sentence. And one of the students was like, well, I'm not doing that because those things aren't real. And he was really, really um, quite sassy about it. 
And I said, oh, they are real. And I, I gave some examples off the top of my head. But immediately, while the students were writing, I was like finding extracts. And then at the start of every lesson for the remainder of the week, I was reading to them where I could find where there were one word or two word sentences. And we're reading private piece when we came to a bit of the book where there was, it said, an aeroplane. And I was like, okay, let's stop. And I was like, now we can start to see. And like you said, it's the music, it's the rhythm, it's the intonation of the words. And when they hear those words, they then understand the power in their own writing. Yeah. So today, two weeks on, and not today, yesterday, two weeks on was their next writing challenge. So of course, I did something again that was success criteria was structural. I'm picking up their books already. The difference is incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and that's just come from one child's response and me using reading as an opportunity to change that misconception. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, that, that's the other thing about reading for pleasure and why it's so crucial is, is, is about writing and positioning yourself as a writer and that you write for pleasure too. Um. I, I think I think those, that connection between the two things is very um, it's really it's obviously very important. But it's amazing to see that that to see it so clearly the connection between the two. Well, that was great for me because it was tangible with a student who clearly isn't a reader. I mean, for me, you know, and you can see the swell of pride I write in students' books. I can tell you're a reader, and then they'll come up to me and be like, "How did you know I was a reader?" And I'm like, because you're a magpie like me, you know, you're taking all these amazing ideas, this vocabulary, the way you phrase the sentence, that doesn't come if you're not a reader. And then I get them to share that work with other students because I want them to see the power of what, you know, what they've read just because they've been in bed on a night time reading a couple of chapters of a novel or, or something, you know, it, the difference. And I think that's one of those things, like we see that every day in our capacity, but it, it's so clear. It's, I mean, it's, it's just, it's so thrilling. I think that that's what's so, oh God, I, when you see, when you understand how fundamental it is and that, that we're not just teaching the skill to read, this is not just um, delivering a curriculum. This is, this is about um, life and about turning these people into really successful. And I don't mean, um, financially or with results but just humans who can negotiate their way through experiences mm -hmm. and the world in such in such deep and imaginative and creative ways and, and always it sits at the heart of that is uh, books and reading I mean it's it's just oh it sort of gives me goosebumps because it's such a it's such a privilege to be able to um work with books and reading and children and to get this stuff going because it can have such a huge impact for almost for, for very little you know it's, it's not hard work getting it to get to, to do this stuff you know it's not hard work to deliver and to encourage children to read because all you have to do is is love reading yourself um and and actually that's not that difficult to do when you're surrounded by pretty fantastic literature you know, this is I, I I keep seeing all over the place people saying this is the golden age of children's literature, um, 
And I really think it is, you know, the quality of the books that are being published and written at the moment is a second to none. And there's just every week, I think, do not buy another book. You've got enough now. You've got everything. And then bingo, someone else recommends something on Twitter. And I think, I have to have that book. It has to be mine. And so then I suddenly have this collection of wonderful, amazing books that just, and you think, oh, what could I do with this? What can I, where could this go? Where could this lead us? What are we going to do? How could I recommend this to a teacher to use in their classroom? What could this take? Where could this take them to? That's, you know, that's magical. I love that idea of where this could take them to. And you're right, it is magic. And it's just trying to get everybody on board with that idea. I've just realised the time. We are absolutely flying through. I'm going to play the adverts again, because I must play them twice. And then afterwards, we're going to come back. And I've still got so many questions. Um, I said to Alice last week, it was going to need to be a part two. I'm feeling like I can see part two, part three, part four coming on, to be perfectly honest. We're going to turn it into a series. Maybe we should do a... Wait, oh, yes. Oh, well, I mean, I've gosh, I've had such a good time. It feels like five minutes. I know, me too. It's flying back. <laughs> so we will be back after this great need support with your phonics teaching did you know oxford university press now has three dfe validated programs to help you read write ink phonics floppies phonics and the brand new essential letters and sounds essential letters and sounds will get all your children reading well quickly using phonics books you may already have in your classroom Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lincook, making space for honest conversations about Black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. So welcome back to the last part of today's Drive Home show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, joined by Mary Rose Greve, who is librarian at Heartland International School in Dubai. Tonight has absolutely flown by for both of us, I think. <laughs> and I still feel like I've got so much more to ask, so I'm going to get straight in there. Um, we talked a lot about why reading for pleasure is so important, our love of reading, but Thinking about students and young people who are less confident, what kind of things do you do to support those students? Well, I, I mean, the most important thing here, um, I, I mean, I, I, she was, I thought what Alice said last week was so good about meeting them where they are. Um, I, I think the most important thing here is, is about um, individual relationships and connections and, understand, and, and 
and being knowing the child in front of you and what you can do and what they're interested in. Um, we have, um, as I said, we've got quite a lot of EAL students in our school. Um, and I love the Barrington Stoke books. I don't know if you've come across them. I'm sure you probably have, but they're, um, they're a very, very good publisher who start, they, they publish books that are for reluctant and dyslexic readers and they're high-low, um, but they, um, one of the books, now of course the name's gone out of my head because I'm so dotty, but um, uh, has won the Carnegie Award, come on, it's called Rook, um, and it, written by, they, they um, commission writers to um, Anthony McGowan, thank you. Um, you know, well-established writers to to write books that are accessible for children who are more reluctant or have dyslexia or various other things. Um, and but you, their their content is is aimed at the right age group. So if you're 15, but you can only read your reading age is sort of eight or nine, there are loads of books that speak to you because they've got um content that matters so mm -hmm. i have a lot of those books i i really love them um i was at a very interesting talk the other day again i'm so mad i can't i'm not going to remember who it was a really interesting lecturer talking about um how she was involved in creating an eal eall multicultural library in the uk and i it it, it is something that i think is really important um often i find that children who are reluctant readers are the ones who find reading really difficult yeah me um, too so so then it's saying actually look we've got these fabulous graphic novels or we've got some books in chinese that you might like in mandarin or we've got some of these french books and then they go oh gosh i didn't know this and I suddenly i'm seeing myself and that brilliant quote from reading sims bishop about um books as windows mirrors and sliding doors is really important here and I think um, knowing how to find a book that either reflects the child's own experiences or allows them to step out of their experience and into somebody else's um, is really important so um, finding the right book for the right person is is for me uh, particularly as a librarian really important um, and uh, actually, I've been thinking a lot recently about how our library is organised, and um, we we have it. I, I mean, I've got fiction and non-fiction in a very traditional way with mm -hmm. non-fiction and fiction alphabetical order by author's surname, and I, I want to change that because I think that genreifying it and get, having it more like a bookshop. So you're going in, and there's the horror, there horror, and there are historical history books and you know even if I just did it with the fiction I think it would make it easier for those sometimes if you don't like reading and you're walking into a library and you're just faced with spines of books you see for me that's thrilling because I just want to pull anything out and think oh I wonder what this is for a lot of children that is hard it's really overwhelming to go how the hell am I going to find something I'm going to like here so I'm not going to bother going in and if I make it easier for them and they go, I know that I like books um, about, I don't know, for sport, basketball, uh, you know, um, I get some Kwame Alexander books or you know, the, I, I know that I like graphic novels, then they can go there and then feel, okay, right, now I know where I'm going a little bit more and I can find something for myself. 
Um, but ensuring there's a great deal of choice, I think, is very important. Definitely. I, I'm nodding. I'm doing this thing that I all, every week I sit here and I'm just nodding away and I'm like, nobody can see that you're really engaging with what's being said right now, Rebecca. It's ridiculous. But So obviously I've started at this, at my new school and I've, I've got a year nine form group and they're also my English class. And one of the boys has really presented a bit of an interesting challenge because I know he's intelligent. I can see his intelligence, but I can see his reticence with English in particular um, and reading. And then I got the data back from our baseline from Reading Plus and his fluency is through the floor. And I thought, right, okay, so at least I know the root of it. And then we'd finished English. It was last Tuesday because I had the last lesson on a Tuesday. And he said, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, of course you can. I was just about to start my um, extracurricular for um, World Scholars Cup. So I was like, yeah, you can. Kids will come in and that. I said, but we go and find somewhere to sit. And he was like, I hate reading. I hate it. I hate it so much. And I was like, okay. I said, I totally get it. You know, we might still have masks on, but you can see the eye, you can see the teenage eye roll coming a mile off. And I know, and obviously I'm new to him and he's still figuring me out. And it, I'm so, I just feel really, really privileged that he's been that. Because to say that, I think he thought he was he was going to get a rise out of me. I was like, I was like, just thank you for being honest. And I know that, and I knew that he hated reading because it's not hating. It's replacing the word with hating with, he can't do it very well. And when you're an intelligent person, that must be so, so difficult because it's not connecting the dots. And I just was like, thank you for telling me. Tell me what you like. And now I feel really under pressure because I was, and I was like, I just want you to work with me for a while while I find you something that you don't hate. Yeah. But I just feel now the responsibility. <laughs> and it really is because, you know, it, it's something that I feel so strongly about that, this this is it. This is this is a real situation now with a student that's come to me and admitted something and I want to help him so much and I don't want to get it wrong. No, I can I mean that that is really hard. And the only thing you can do is just keep on giving him choices. Yes. And 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 actually the, I mean those Barrington Stoke books are a really good place to start, I think. The other thing are those are verse novels. Um I, I think those verse novels are so good because they, there are fewer words on the page. They're not quite as terrifying when you open them. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds, which is an incredibly powerful piece of writing, I think, um, is, I, I read it, we read it, we did a Carnegie shadowing group a couple of years ago. And it was oh, I want to do that this year. Oh, it's brilliant. You must do it. I it's, really want to. That's I... the other thing I forgot to say I did, of course. I've been <laughs> doing the shadowing for about three, three or four years. It's the best. Thing. the children love it because they love being judges they love deciding which book they think is going should win it's a fantastic thing to do I, it's, I could not recommend it more highly I feel like because as well with my experience right now with the school and the fact that I've, I thought I was going to struggle to get a Chevron Readers Cup team and now I'm actually having to turn people away it could be quite a nice thing to capitalize on, to be honest and actually I think I mean um 
and not being disloyal and saying this, I, I, I have more people who are wanting to do the Carnegie than I do the Reader's Cup, actually. Because when I say, come and be a judge, they go, that's it. Please. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. And, and the, the, the level of critical thinking that you can get out of them when they know that they're doing it, you know, they're, they're comparing you know, five different books that are so different. They're, they're so different. Yeah. And their reading ages are so different. And it's really hard to go, why is this one better than this one? You know, what is it? And really getting into the the, the depth of the story and the, the language and, and how how the writer does, you know, uses words. And that, it they, they just love it. And and, and the, the um, Kate Greenaway Award for illustration is another fantastic one to do for secondary students, particularly EAL or EAL and reluctant readers, because then there's a whole load of visual literacy that comes in that is very, I, I think, I mean, I've had some really huge successes with that. Well, I've just and written that down. <laughs> I have definitely just written that down. Um, we are rapidly coming towards the end and I feel so much like I've got so many more things to ask so I'm just going to ask you very very quickly um what advice would you offer to anybody who is trying to promote reading in their school if you could kind of sum up or consolidate or add something extra okay so I, I I've been thinking a lot about this <laughs> I think the first thing I would say is you have to be patient um have high expectations of yourself but don't expect it to happen overnight mm -hmm. um you have got to get support you need to enlist you need to look around and find people who are going to go yeah i like this i'll be on it I'm, I'm i'm gonna ride this pony with you let's go um you you do need to have slt support yeah um i i've been to countless uh, webinars and all sorts of things with brilliant people including the magical Sonia Thompson who I can't recommend more highly to listen to because she's just wonderful but she always says you're, you're never going to get very far unless you've got um, SLT pushing this because you really need them mm -hmm. behind it so that's really important it, really though modeling it yourself the more you do and the more people see you do the more they're going to go oh that's quite good even subconsciously you're making some kind of difference and finally, I mean, I could carry on with advice forever, <laughs> but finally, you've got to laugh all the time. You have to laugh because there's many times where you think I'm just going to cry and um, go home and pretend this has never happened. Uh, don't do that. Just laugh. Find anything. Keep laughing because um, that's where things, you know, people come with you when you're when you're laughing and enjoying yourself. And, and it has to be something that you you enjoy and you want to do. And um, and when you feel that passion for it, it's you know there will be somebody who will go, oh, that's I'll, I'll have some of that. I'll come too. And once you've got somebody else with you, then it becomes like a snowball, and you're off. I absolutely love that. I think that that last piece of advice is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, if you just keep laughing, I wish I could have told myself that <laughs> all those years ago, but I think you're totally spot on. Mary Rose, thank you so much for joining me today. You've been a phenomenal guest. I mean, the passion, the enthusiasm, the ideas. I mean, I've literally scribbled all over pieces of paper. So thank you so, so much. And for everybody that's been listening and who is going to listen by downloading, 
I hope that they've taken away as much from what you've had to say today as I have. So thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for having me. I've really, really enjoyed it, Rebecca. You've just, it's been brilliant. You're a brilliant host and I'm, I'm really grateful for um, the time and I hope I haven't talked too much. Rubbish. No, you've been absolutely amazing. And I'm just thinking now, when can I get a fit in a visit to go to come and have a look in your actual library? Because I, I think well, that would be to happen. We, we must, I think we need to do a, um, a reciprocal um, meet um, and look at each other's uh, libraries and all of that stuff. Hopefully we'll have a, an in-person teachers reading group meeting at some point too. Well, that would be incredible and then something that I can talk about on this show. So that would be amazing. So thank you so much for joining me today. Um, that takes me to the end of today's show. Thank you so much for everybody who has listened or has downloaded the show. Next week it will be half term and the show will take me about three hours before I'm about to pick my mum up from the airport. So I apologise in advance for the level of enthusiasm and excitement that I have next Monday afternoon slash evening because there will be a lot. So thank you again for joining us this week and thank you so much to Mary Rose Grieve for being my guest and I will see you same time next Monday. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.